0: Thanks for taking the time to check out this episode of Desert Island Goals. Video links to all the goals we're going to discuss in this podcast are in the description below, as well as social media profiles for myself, the podcast itself, and our guest. Please take the time to follow us all right now. There is a good chance there will be some strong language at some point during this podcast, just letting you know that ahead of time. And please take the time right now to give us a five-star review on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Cheers. Okay, welcome again to another edition of Desert Island Goals. Thank you for taking the time to download this podcast. My name is Callum Squires. I am your host. Thank you very much for checking this out. If you can right now, before we get started, just give us a quick five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. It really does help us with the algorithms and getting noticed. Joining us today to tell us his Desert Island goals is a very special guest, friend of mine for an outrageously long time at this point, Sean Simmons. Sean, thank you for joining us. How are you? How are you doing today?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you, Callum. Thank you for having me, for yeah, bringing me on the pod and uh, granting me my much-deserved 15 minutes of fame.
0: Fifteen, I think it'll be a little bit longer than that. You do deserve <laughs> it, absolutely. Um, so as, as ever, Sean, we start basically introducing you to the, the listeners, the audience, in terms of your, to quote Jose Mourinho, football heritage and how you really came into being a football fan, the team you support, and, and how you really got started being a fan of this game. So I'll, I'll spoil it for the, for the people you're from, North London, but how did you first become a football fan? What are your earliest memories of, of football?
1: That's a hard question. I mean, like, I've always played football as as long as I can remember. But I think I basically share that with almost every other kid from London, to be honest. Like, it's always been part of my life. I was always playing football with friends at school. And even before that, probably running around family parties, making a racket and mess everywhere, playing football. So I guess it starts just because there's a ball around and someone's got to kick it. And then... My parents could, they sort of sent us through um, like football classes when we first showed some sort of interest when we were young and then from then it just it just snowballs, doesn't it? You know as well as me, like you just start playing for school and then you start playing for teams and then you get obsessed and then now we're here, we're here, 28 years old with less than glittering football careers, but a lot of stories to tell, so <laughs> There you go.
0: Less than glittering is probably an understatement for the both of us. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, growing up in North London, there's obviously yeah. a lot of elite football teams around. Obviously, <coughs> Arsenal and Spurs dominate the landscape, but you are going to have fans from all over, including you know the Northern teams, the Uniteds, the Liverpools, Probably not yeah, cities, if we're quite, honest.
1: Quite a lot of United and Liverpool and those big clubs down in London, isn't there? Yeah.
0: I, w- I wondered when we'd get that reference. <laughs> but for yourself, your passion is a big club, but not necessarily one of the European elite, shall we say. So, yeah. who do you support? Why do you support them? And how does that fandom kind of influence you as a fan?
1: So, um, I'm a Watford Football Club fan. Um, that was not my decision in any way, shape, or form. It was prescribed. <laughs> it was passed down to me from my father, and I had no. Well, I say I, I I've said this many times, and I've said that I've had no I had no choice in the matter. But I don't think that's true, actually, because my sister is testament to that. She she deflected when she was of a young age to Arsenal, and I think that probably disappointed my dad quite a lot. But at least he's still got he's got a fifty percent record, so that's not too really bad. <laughs> had Watford shirts from as long as I can remember. And like, I don't know. I was probably, I was quite young when I went to my first game. Um, He wouldn't, he wouldn't take me to a first team game initially uh, because he said he didn't know whether I had the attention span for it. I was only like four years old, to be fair. Uh, I think he'd taken a couple of my cousins and they ended up acting up and crying and asking for hot dogs. So he decided to trial me with a couple of um, under 21s games and, uh, yeah, that, I think that's basically where it started. First game. I, th- I actually remember my first game, Callum, if you want to go into that. Yeah, we go can. ahead. Yeah, so it's, um, I, I, it was Watford-Chelsea and it was the under-21s. And I think I was about four or five. I was there enjoying the first half. And if I remember correctly, it was goalless in the first half. And I think the only reason I do remember that is because, the, as we well know, <laughs> the team's <laughs> change ends at half-time. But as four-year-old slash five-year-old, Sean didn't know. I, uh, yeah, I ended up cheering a Chelsea goal because I got confused about which way people were shooting. So I think Chelsea <laughs> scored early in the second half, and I, um, I got up and cheered it. But yeah, luckily, only an tw- under 21s game, and I was five, so I didn't really get didn't get a smack in the mouth.
0: <laughs> I think the uh, the Watford fans around you would probably forgive you an under twenty game. I think they'd let you off.
1: Yeah, I think they'd let you off.
0: But yeah, I mean, so that was it. Um,
1: got into, never. I've never had a friend that was a Watford fan. It's just been me and my dad and his mates, while all my other friends sort of glory hunted to other bigger teams. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's it. It's just yeah, football is yeah. It's Watford is very important in my dad's and mine relationship probably as well. I suppose my nan and my uncle as well, but dad always took me. He was always there when I was at Watford Games, except for a couple of times in Sheffield. But you joined me for those, so.
0: I did, and what a time that was in itself. In terms of being a Watford fan, obviously, I think it's fair to say over the kind of two decades that we've both been avid football fans, there've been some ups for Watford and there've been some downs for Watford, literally and figuratively. When you're what? not going into every single game expecting to win, how does that affect your kind of mindset of, of, of cheering for a team? Is there, is there a part of you that enjoys a season in the championship more when you're going to win all the games, potentially? Or is, there a, or is it just, you know, the Premier League is always the goal, the goal and the aim? And even if it's a season fighting relegation or a season that ends in relegation, is being in that elite tier more enjoyable than winning and being successful in a division below?
1: Okay, right. So I would say being in the Premier League is better. It's glitzier. It's exciting. Everyone talks about it. And that's where you want your club to be. Even though when you're there, you know you're going to be initially in a relegation battle and then sort of like maybe mid-table fodder that doesn't really do anything for a little while. It's just it being there is kind of like the ultimate goal for a, a fan of a team like Watford at this stage. Obviously, if we were to get up there and a, a little while ago we were, sort of mid-table Premier League and we were having dreams of Europa but it never really materialized. For the vast majority of my Watford supporting career we've been a championship team and we've only really sort of had any sort of success in the last 10 years or so under the Pozzos. Prior to that we had a couple of stints I think one two three three stints in the Premier League only for one season each. Apart, Apart from this most recent period I've been very accustomed to supporting a team in the second flight (laughs) do i enjoy it more in the championship i i I don't really it's better it's nice to win more games it's nice to pick up points and it's nice to feel more confident going into games but the nature of the championship as everyone knows because it's said over and over again it is just really really unpredictable you don't know what's going to happen it's a long 46 game season and it's yeah it it takes its toll on players and fans and it's tough and it's physical. So, no, I don't prefer it down there. It's not nicer. <laughs> I'd rather be in the Premier League where it's fun and it's exciting and you're playing against the big boys. And uh, with regards to what you're saying about like going into every game, kind of expecting to lose, that's fine because when you win and if you manage to scrape out a win against a big club, then that feeling is just so good and it's so satisfying because you know and everyone else watching the game knows that it's plucky little Watford or little Watford giving it a go and then when you actually win it's just so satisfying to watch all the pundits have a meltdown (laughs) and all they want to talk about for 15 minutes after the game is how bad Liverpool or Man United were and they don't want to talk about Watford and you can sit there smug just thinking that was great and I enjoyed it.
0: And we're going to get to one of those exact situations later on on your list for a little uh, pre-spoiler there. And that's a, it's a very good point <laughs> indeed. You mentioned the Pozzo family, and I just wanted to kind of touch on them briefly based on there may be people listening to this who are not necessarily as aware of kind of Watford's structure and the ownership. Watford's a really interesting football club that has had some very interesting characters in the kind of ownership and chairman roles over the years, including uh, Elton John, for for those people who are that way aware of uh, his music, which should be everyone. The Pozzo family bought Watford in 2012, adding to their stable of clubs that also includes Granada in Spain and Udinese uh, in Italy. Obviously, right now in the Premier League, there's a lot of controversy about ownership with Newcastle, with City, with the anti-Glazer protests at United as well. I'd like to get your take on kind of how do the Watford fans feel about the Pozzo family generally? Because obviously since 2012, there has been some successes, but equally it has been a very kind of merciless regime of getting rid of managers very quickly if things start to spiral. Now, that's not to say it hasn't worked at times, but that can be divisive. So how how does your average Watford fan feel about the Pozzo family generally?
1: Um, I think the opinion sort of swung over over time. It, initially, they like came in and basically saved us from bankruptcy. I think that was that was the way we were heading. So when they came in and bought the club, like everyone was completely sold on it. They came in as like a footballing family. They had the pedigree from Udinese. They, I think they've actually sold Granada now, Callum. So I don't think they're actually oh. there anymore. Yeah. But um, they, had, they, had oh, they had Granada at the time. Yes, they had. They had Granada at the time. Yeah. But yeah, so everyone was excited about it, and then I mean, we—I think we'll talk about it when I come to some of the goals. But we it immediately it was exciting um, because we basically abused the loan system in the championship. But um, it was really exciting. We had players there that we hadn't really seen the caliber of for quite a long time at Watford, and um, everyone was fully on board with it. Um, as you correctly sort of allude to, that it. it <laughs> Opinion has changed a little bit further on down the line. Everyone wants to talk about the revolving door of managers. I I want to put that in quotation marks because it's what everyone <laughs> says all the time. But um yeah, the revolving door of managers. And to be honest with you, it works quite effectively for quite a long time. We got promoted to the Premier League the most recent well, not the most recent time, because we went back down here. But um that, the stint where we had a solid block of seasons and we had a high changeover of managers, but we were staying in the league and we were still competitive. And there was a lot of teams that, such as Bournemouth that had one manager the whole time, but they came up at the same time as us and they went down at the same time as us. So it kind of felt like whatever their, their ploy was, whatever their tactic was with regards to managers, it was kind of working for a team like Watford. But then, yeah, it has, I think, enthusiasm for that for that style of um, management that's well the boards management of the club um has like the support has dwindled for it um I think I think Watford fans just kind of got a little bit a little bit upset with maybe like there wasn't there wasn't an identity at the club as much as there was previously or in years gone past Just because there's high turnover managers, each of those managers gets a short period of time and it's really hard for them to stamp their personality on a a squad. Um, But I think there seems to be a change in in tact more recently um, with the appointment of Rob Edwards. So I would say generally most thoughtful Watford fans will be pro-Pozzo, but there are definitely a few disgruntled few. um, And I've seen a a little bit of hashtag Pozzo out on Twitter which mm. I think is stupid, personally. <laughs> um, I, I'm a big fan. I think, I think they've done huge things for this club. As I said earlier on, like the vast majority of when I've been a Watford supporter, we've been a pretty stagnant second-tier club. And since they've come in, we've been better than that. So you can't really argue with the returns, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's hard to demand much more than that for sure. Moving on to the goals themselves, why we're officially here to pick out your five goals that you would choose to rewatch or relive if you could only have five whilst you're stuck on a desert island for, forevermore. Obviously, I think we you know, we've texted back and forth and you've said that this was a hard process to narrow down the five goals. What were kind of the thought process that you went through? And do you have a particular favorite kind of goal that we're going to kind of see all over this list or is it a little bit more varied? I've got a favorite type of goal, but I haven't used that in as a criteria for me picking these
1: goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought more about moments for my club, more moments for me as a fan. Um, well, not just my club because there's, there's another one in there. But um, I, yeah, it was more about like, the story behind it, where I was, why it sticks out to me, why it's important um if I was to pick a favorite type of goal, it would probably be something that's well worked and like a bit silky i'm not i mean i I like a big thunder blaster from forty yards, but <laughs> it does it does just feel a little bit lucky because <laughs> It just is. I mean, the amount of shots that we see from outside the box are miles away and they sky them every single time. And some some people are good at it and they just ping them into the top corners. But I prefer like a well-worked, like little bit of a one-touch pass and move goal. I think that I think that shows more about a team. But um, completely disregard all of what I've just said with regards to the goals that I've picked, really. <laughs> because pretty much they're just about how much I love them and what, yeah how much they mean to me because I think that's really what it's about I mean like a scoring a goal is scoring scoring a goal is the most like pure thing in football like the emotion most emotional emotionally pure thing in football and uh I think that's what most fans like that's why it connects them to certain certain goals
0: how hard was it to settle on this final five for you Oh, it, was, it was
1: nigh on impossible. I mean, every like couple of days I would be taking one out and switching it in and switching it out. And I just know that now that we've done this, and this is why I was so wary about being towards the beginning of your like list of guests, <laughs> is because I'm going to listen to them, because I will, and I, it's just going to wind me up, because people are going to say goals, and I'm going to think, why didn't I put that in? Why didn't I just wait a little bit longer? And I've even had that with one of your previous guests, who uh, I think, am I your first double? today is this your first double goal second 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 double goal um but there's a reason for that and that's okay there is and and i'm I'm not again i'm not like but it's nice to pick goals that other people don't pick yeah and then you but it's just like yeah it's just a couple
0: on your list that nobody else is going to pick oh yeah no i know that that's of the
1: reason why they're
0: in
1: there no not sure yeah sort of maybe a little bit (laughs) no i know that yeah I mean, it would. It, it's just, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to boil down twenty-five years of like conscious football watching into five goals is just impossible. I'm extremely excited for you trying to do yours because I think you're going to struggle because you've got an encyclopedic <laughs> brain for Man United goals. For me, it was it was easier. Most of the goals have fallen out of my head, but for you, it's going to be tricky. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll save that. We'll save that for a special edition, I think. Maybe, maybe, oh, yeah, I'm, no, maybe, sorry. No, yeah, spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers. No spoilers. No, 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 no. Okay, let's get into the goals. If knockout, who won it, scores it. Leicester City go to Wembley and it's the end for Watford. Knockout takes, Almunia saves,
1: knockout follows in, Almunia saves again, absolutely
0: astonishing, now here come Watford, Forestieri, here's Hull,
1: your eyes you are really seeing the most extraordinary finish here it almost mirrors the final day with the very last kick of this playoff semi-final Troy Deeney wins
0: it for Watford and sends them to Wembley okay so as Sean alluded to in the intro we do have a repeat selection here to start off our episode but there's a very, very, very good reason for that. Dalen picked this episode, picked this goal. Excuse me. A couple of episodes back, we are in the Championship playoff semi-final second leg of the 2012-2013 season. This is Watford against Leicester at Vicarage Road, and what a moment it is! As I discussed with Dalen, you get the penalty save, you get the clearance downfield, and you get the eventual. Incredible moment where Troy Deeney sends Watford to Wembley. Dalen obviously picked this being a Real Madrid fan, which was a wonderful surprise to me that he had a championship goal on his list. But I think, obviously, I think a lot of people would want to know what this goal actually meant to a real-life Watford fan. Because I'm sure most people listening do not maybe have that many Watford fans in their lives. And obviously, you've been a very prevalent part of mine for... You know, beyond 15 years at this point, 17 years really, which is wild in itself. Going into
1: our 18th, I think now. Okay. Incredible.
0: As a Watford fan, this moment must be up there with one of the best moments of your fandom, even though, and we'll touch on it eventually, it didn't eventually lead to the Premier League itself. So take me back to this goal, this day. Where were you watching it? And, and what were your immediate feelings about, about this moment?
1: I was living in Sheffield. It was during my university years. It was like the tail end of the first year of uni. I'd been to the pub to watch the first leg, which we lost 1-0. And I was surrounded by Leicester fans. And I couldn't bear it for the the second leg. I was streaming the game with Patrick, my friend, um, that Callum you know well. And we were streaming a game in my room at university on my laptop. And um, it was actually my first day at work at a new job at TGI Fridays. Um, And even the name sends a shiver down my spine still. But it was my first day. I really, really didn't want it to go to extra time. (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't want it to. I was already like half an hour late when the game had finished. So the goal going in, in the fashion which it did, period of the game which was which was unbelievable like that's a so in itself and like 2013 times streaming games you're you're on for a buffer every 30 seconds but it stayed clear as a bell for the whole thing it's probably not the best goal in the game i'd argue that vidra's goal the first one is the best goal that like for those that don't know he sort of he takes a ball over his left shoulder and volleys it into the top corner on the far side and it's just exquisite we're we're at the tail end of the game. Anthony Nokia, who I don't have many words to describe him, but I, I really don't <laughs> like him very much. He he goes down in the box extremely easily, very, very soft. Poor old Marco Cassetti. Looks like he's about to break down in tears with a slight touch on Nokia's shoulder and he goes down in a hump. Michael Oliver, who was the villain on this day but Later on in the list, ends up being the hero, Cal, <laughs> and um, he uh, he gives the penalty because he he just bottles it basically and gives the penalty in the last minute. And Nokia with his little ratty face steps up to take it. Do you, sorry, do you want me to go into the whole of the goal? <laughs> I don't Absolutely, keep No, 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 right, hundred percent. Okay, Nokia steps up to take this penalty after cheating us, uh, cheating the referee into giving it. And Manuel Munia, who probably about he's probably about sixty-five at this point or something like that, Callum. <laughs> he's pretty old. Which is very obvious, by the way. Everyone always talks about what a great double save it was. It's probably the worst double save I've ever seen. He couldn't go. He he basically <laughs> falls on the ball from the initial penalty and then lollops half a metre over and manages to block the second one. Like it's just no, it's his feet that save it initially, isn't it? So it's yeah. just, like he, everything about it was just perfect because, like, it wasn't even like, from Almunia. It just wasn't that good. He manages to block it somehow, and I think it's Cassetti that loops it up into the air, yeah. And then, yeah, Cechiagna with that—that that first touch is the unsung hero of the goal. It's so so good from a ball like that under so much pressure. The adrenaline must have been going pumping through his veins. Anyway, yeah, he sort of releases us down the right to Fernando Forestieri who was one of my one of my loves in my late teens and early 20s. And he passes it down the wing. No, he gets down the wing and then crosses it over to Hog, Jonathan Hogg. It was it a, a a decent championship level journeyman really, would you say? Yeah. Maybe a yeah, bit better I think that's fair. That. Maybe a little bit better. And he nods he has the presence of mind to nod it down. And yeah, I mean, the rest is just pandemonium. The pitch just goes crazy. The, player, the players are going wild. Zola hits the deck. Jonathan Bond has to leapfrog him so as not to trample on him. Fans on the pitch, everyone's going wild. And I'm on my knees in my university room. I think I just like pull my top over my head and just sort of like close my eyes and couldn't believe that it had actually happened. Sort of screaming, your voice breaks and it goes a bit high pitched and you don't really know what's going on. And then quickly after that, I had to stick on my red and white polo shirt and nip off to TJ Fridays.
0: I love that the fact on, that on the tram. <laughs> I, mean, I love that the best the best part of this goal for you is not being late for work. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was still. I, this is the thing.
1: I was still late. late. I wasn't. I wasn't so late it, it was not the best thing about the goal. But it was something about it. But I like. I got the tram there. It took me about twenty five minutes. I'm still buzzing from the goal vibrating and I get there and then the guy's like you're right well, I oh this isn't going to be the same every week and I was just like no 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 it won't it definitely won't it definitely won't the trams oh, all the timings were messed up and all I can think about is Deanie with his shirt off jumping into the crowd it was yeah pretty hard to concentrate in that first shift kept the job it's, for a year a great and a half. it was I, ah, it was just it was so it was so unbelievable I mean I wasn't there I, I kind of wish I was but then I think like it doesn't really matter where you are for those goals. It, it, you, if you watch it live and you see it happen and it means something to you, it's just like, it, you, yeah, you can, it's one of those, where were you when it happened moments. If and I, I don't was there, to... I almost certainly would have clambered down from the top level of the rookery and into the, onto the pitch. So maybe <laughs> that was, yeah, maybe it's best I wasn't there.
0: I don't want to put a negative spin on the very end of it, but is there any part of the goal that is dulled? by the fact that it didn't lead to an actual promotion in the end, because Watford made it to the playoff final on the back of this and unfortunately were defeated by Crystal Palace.
1: They were, and um no, I don't think so. I mean, if we'd have got if we'd have gone up that that year, it would have been because of the final anyway. It doesn't like the semi final has no has no bearing on and what happens in the final. So you've got to separate the two games. So I don't no, I wouldn't say it sours it. Losing to Crystal Palace in the final was bad enough. I mean, I I've, I don't really like Crystal Palace very much. They've beaten us a couple of times at Wembley, which basically started my my hatred for the for the stadium itself because of those bad days. But um, yeah, no, it it doesn't sour it at all. It was just such a magic moment of football. It's like something like fifteen seconds from one end to the other end. It was just so electric, and yeah. I mean I defy anyone to watch that clip and not not love the game really. It's defy anyone it's, to watch
0: it and not feel something.
1: Yeah, it, I mean I've seen it I I don't know how many hundred times I've seen this goal now but it's still it still makes the hairs on my the back of my neck stand up. Just before this we've started this podcast I showed it to one of my housemates because he hadn't seen the goal believe it or not and even then it still yeah it still made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up it still gives me the shivers it's a great goal another corner
0: another threat from Walton Ashley Young delivers Okay, so we're rolling on here to Sean's second selection. And this is a much happier day for Watford Football Club. This is the Championship Playoff Final of 2006. And this time, maybe not surprisingly, it's not at Wembley. It's at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. And this is Watford against Leeds United for a place in the Premier League. Who would have known at the time that Leeds, by losing this, would not have a chance to make it back to the Premier League for another 14 years afterwards. Which is sad, isn't it, Callum? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have, I don't, uh, this is probably bad to say and geographically very obvious, but I don't have a hatred to Leeds the way I'm supposed to, to be completely honest. Yeah. It's also, I think, a bit of age. Like the Leeds team in 98, 99, when we first were watching football, were fantastic with Alan Smith, Viduka and Harry yep. Kuehl. They were just good yeah, to Yeah, they,
1: they had a great team. Yeah.
0: But this Leeds team is nowhere near that and we'll touch on exactly why Watford themselves finding a way to get back to the Premier League may of 2006 and the key goal in any game is the first goal and it's scored by an american
1: jay, jay demerit
0: jjj from the usa as i believe you <clears throat> used to say
1: we did yeah
0: what's your memories of jay demerit as a player a
1: very strong aggressive centre back. It was probably it was probably before anyone even dreamed of having centre backs that wanted to play football in the championship. It wasn't really it it just wasn't really happening back then. So he was exactly what we needed. He fit the bill. He's aggressive, like I said, he puts his head on everything. He was there for every 50-50 and then some. Yeah, I really liked him and he he just he really like he really loved the club. He really seemed to love the club and I think that is proven by I mean, ever since he's left, he still talks about us. He still tweets about us. And whenever we've got big games coming up, he'll post little things talking about Watford. So I think he really connected with the club. And it, it's so obvious when that happens and the fans just back you. They just will. It doesn't. You don't even have to be that good. If you connect with the club and you connect with the fans, and that's, that's it. You're fine.
0: <laughs> and so Jay Demerit <laughs> scores the opening goal in this playoff final. It's a great corner. A great corner from is, yeah. former Watford hero Ashley Young, who's yeah. maybe got a little bit of a tempestuous relationship with the club now, having played for other teams and scored against Watford on a number of occasions. But and Ashley Young at that time, and celebrated, largely. that's a fair point. Yeah. Ashley Young at that time was a mercurial young talent, tip for big things, which he did go on to accomplish, I think it's fair to say. But what a cross in, takes the keeper out of it, and Demerit is just flying in at the back post with a Bullet header into the bottom corner. Where were you for this one? And talk me through your memories of this day. I was in Cardiff, so I went. I went with my dad
1: and uh, a couple of his friends. So, how when was this? Two thousand six. What were you we, like? Thirteen. This was yeah. the
0: end of our first year of secondary school, so we would have been thirteen. Yes.
1: Yeah, thirteen years oh, old. Oh no, twelve. Twelve. I tell you a lot. Twelve. You're right. 12. Yeah, yeah. So twelve. So yeah, twelve years old. I remember getting the train with dad. Um it's in Wales, which is difficult to get to for Leeds fans. So they actually, all, a lot of them had to get the train down to London and then across to the to Cardiff. So we were That's on the baffling. train with like shitloads of Leeds fans. And they were, I've got to say, they were brilliant all day long. They were so loud. They didn't stop singing. Even at the end of the game, they'd lost 3-0 in the championship final. That is Hard to take, and they just didn't shut up the whole way down, the whole way back on the train. Yeah, but and also just very good natured. I don't know if that extends to all Leeds fans or all football fans. Anyway, but it was my experience was very positive on that day. So yeah, me and Dad's and his mates got the train over to Cardiff. I'm twelve, and. Walking at that, it's the first. It was the best stadium I'd ever been to at that point in my life by a country mile. Like I'm used to Vicarage Road. At that point, we only had three functioning stands because one was shut down by the council for being unfit. I turn up at this big bowl of a stadium in Cardiff, and it was just un. It was unreal. Like the color, the noise. I still talk about it now all the time. Like this, this the the seats are so steep. They're banked so steep that you feel like you're on top of the game. And it just all reverberates around you. It's just it's a great stadium. You're noticing my noticing my bias there in that I don't like Wembley because we've lost there. And I love Cardiff because the only time I've ever been with one. But yeah, it was it just an unbelievable stadium, an unbelievable game. My eyes were just wide open, taking it all in. Yeah, then the goal comes. I mean, it was AD Boothroyd and we were favourites to go down that year. I remember. And he just sort of, he made Watford play this really direct, what would in today's terms be considered extremely ugly style of football. It was really Route 1, but it it was just effective. It just worked. And like before the game, Leeds were massive favourites. But yeah, AD Buford had this, he had this team spirit going at Watford, this sort of like controlled aggression, I would probably call it. And they say that like we Watford won the game before before the teams had come out because in the tunnel we were just loud and focused and shouting and, and really trying to intimidate leads. And it seems kind of childish when you think about it now, like these are professional football players that should, that should be water off a ducks back. But apparently they, they looked, they looked startled. They didn't seem on it. And we came out and we like, I'm a 12-year-old kid, so obviously I think this, but the scoreline's 3-0, and I've seen the highlights before, and I just think we dominated the game. I just don't think they... They just didn't want it. They didn't turn up for whatever reason. I don't know what's happened behind the scenes, but I like to think that A.D. Buford made us shout at them in the tunnel, and then they got scared. So, um, (laughs) yeah, anyway, the goal, yeah, I mean, Ashley Young was my absolute idol. Like, I loved him so much at this point. He was sort of little and skinny and tricky and quick he's sort of he's playing like a, a high a high winger at this point obviously later on in his career ends up being a, a right back but a successful one i think he was he was good he managed to change his managed to change up his attributes he's just like he's coming from like the edge of the box he's flying at it i'm not sure how well it is defended i don't think he's really marked but he's like he's just coming in at such a pace that you just the ball's his as soon as it hits its apex and it's coming over. You know, it's going on his head and then it goes in and it was just, yeah, like everyone was singing USA chanting USA and my dad's friend, I'm only 12. So I think they were still a little bit tentative about swearing around me too much at the time. My dad's friend turned around to me and said, I don't fucking care who scores. I'm never singing USA. (laughs) (laughs) But I was I was there I was there blissfully unaware of everything sort of chanting it and singing his name and it was just it was just, it was, yeah it was a great goal it was a great goal and we were reeling and then after that yeah we never really looked back the game the game just went in our in our favour pitch was awful though the pitch was very bad considering I thought I remember looking at that in the highlights and just thinking like god this is a, like a playoff final in a massive stadium and it was it was really bad but yeah well anyway.
0: I think I think I'm right in saying that would have been the last one in Cardiff because the new Wembley opened at the end of the 06-07 season. United lost the first FA Cup final there, which is why I remember. But yeah. I did watch the highlights back, you know, obviously in, in prepping for this. Because I, I, when you sent me the list of goals, I, I'll admit I didn't, I couldn't picture the Jay Dumeric goal. I knew which game it was from, but I couldn't picture it. And then watching it back, I do. I think you're right. I do think you dominated the game from start to finish, obviously. Yeah. You can only glean so much from 10 minutes of highlights of a 90-minute game. But it seemed like Watford were in control completely. And I wanted just to touch briefly on A.D. Boothroyd himself because obviously I, I think he's the first kind of Watford manager that I really knew of, I guess. You know, at Wat- Watford were in the Premier League in the very early 2000s as well. I remember A.D. Boothroyd as Watford manager and thinking he was a pretty impressive manager, you know, young at the time and, and doing good things with Watford. What are your kind of memories of that entire setup and the, the Boothroyd years with Watford? Is that is that a fun team that you look back on as one of your
1: favourites? Well, well, like I said, it was sort of, we were favourites to go down. Everyone expected us to be crap. And uh, we weren't. We just came out and we shocked teams and we played we played hard. And it wasn't glamorous football. Like, we had Ben Foster. Ben Foster was on loan from Man United in goal for us at the time. And he, he's got a really good kick. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it, it's it's funny, but like, I can remember like a good couple of goals where, Ben Foster linked up with Marlon King, who was our striker at the time. Um, I think in maybe in the semi-finals of the playoffs, actually, we get against Crystal Palace. I think there was a goal that came directly from Foster up up to Marlon King. But we just had we had like good forward players: Marlon King, Ashley Young, Henderson, Darius Henderson, and relatively solid back four and the, yeah there was just no thrills about it and now looking back it's not like the sort of football that I'd want to appreciate necessarily but it's my club so you get behind them and you find the positives <laughs> in the negatives but the thing is we, we like we had a good we had a great season we shot teams and like I said I was just talking about the playoff semi-final like the first leg of that game was at crystal palace at sellers, sellers park and we lost we won that 3-0 mm-hmm. and it was the same it was the same thing as the final it was just like <clears throat> I remember I was at a pub with my dad and his friends. They must have had about, I think I had 10 Coca-Colas that day. And I remember that. It sticks in my head because I, I was i was bouncing off the walls. That was the most caffeine I'd probably ever had in my life at this point. Dad's obviously had 10 pints as well. So they're in a different place. But I just remember every time we had a corner, every time we had a free kick, there was like a running joke on the table. It was like, right, lads, everyone stick your beers in, your beers in the middle so that we don't knock them over when we score. And it felt like we scored every time we had an opportunity like that. As an example of that, Leicester City played much like that in the season that we beat them in the in that playoff semi final. They were very, very direct. They used to win free kicks in dangerous positions. And I absolutely hated it. I detested their football. I thought it was a disgrace. <laughs> I thought it was anti-football. And I think I thought Nigel Pearson should be struck off and he shouldn't exist anymore. And that changes later on in my football supporting career again. But... When we were doing it in 2006, I absolutely loved it, and that's what football's about. It's about <laughs> loving your club, <laughs> hating everyone else, and supporting them <laughs> as much as you can. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, AD Booth—he came in. It was like it was a limited squad, and he worked with what he had, and we were brilliant that year, and it was great. It was great to watch, and I remember going to Sainsbury's that summer and seeing a cake with a Watford badge on it and that was the first time I'd ever seen that in my life and it blew my mind and I think quite a lot of that is down, in, down to A.D. Freud so cheers to you mate
0: Deeney, decent ball Salah, away from Van Dijk away from Lovren
1: it's minor
0: Watford two to the good Okay, goal number three is a pretty special one. And we alluded to this earlier on. One of those goals where it helps Watford overcome one of the big boys. And this is Ismail Assar, his second goal of the game against Liverpool in a 3-0 Watford victory on a day that only happens every four years or so, the 29th of February, 2020. And the the shadow of the looming pandemic is very much uh, present in the media at this point. Uh, But no one's quite really sure of exactly what's going to happen. Liverpool come into this game, and I had to do my research to check that this was accurate. Liverpool had won their past 18 Premier League games. They had played 28 that season. And they had, they had won 18 in a row up to this point and were already more than 20 points clear of Manchester City. The title was secured. The question at that point was, is this Liverpool team going to become the second team in the Premier League era to go through a season undefeated and so-called invincible? And Watford put pay to that. It's an amazing performance from Juans. I'm surprised it's taken us that long to say that.
1: Oh, God, yeah.
0: We'll do one at the end. We'll do a big one at the end. Yeah, we have to do one at the end. And Ismail Assar is the star of the show, scoring twice against Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool and stopping what would have been a record-breaking winning run. If Liverpool had won this game, that would have been their 19th win in a row, which would have been a top-flight record. And Watford said, nah -uh, not today, not a Vicarage road. Sean, this goal... Is an incredible finish from Ismaila Saw, and we can talk all the way through it. But tell me your recollections of this game and what this victory meant to you at the time.
1: Oh, actually, much like some of the others, but it kind of ends in in sadness. Like the season doesn't end as we want it to. As and as you said in the intro, Cal, like being a football fan, it's not really about everything being perfect all the time because it's it's Watford were so poor at the beginning of this season. Went for a couple of managers. We're bottom at we bottom at um, at Christmas, and Nigel Pearson comes in, <laughs> who I was shitting on earlier on, <laughs> and now I'm going to sing his praises. So it, it, he like comes in and manages to sort of change the tide at Watford a little bit. And it was like we got we had good few good results in his first few games. I think we had like four wins out of five games, which was like I can't I can't emphasize how bad we were at the beginning of the year and as you well know if you're bottom at christmas the writing's on the wall like it's almost a not many clubs yeah. that have ever got out of that west brom so we like come into this game you've just picked it up like liverpool were unreal they were so good at this point they were just they were smacking everybody they were so efficient they were so professional they were scary you didn't want to play against them and yeah i wasn't looking forward to the game Up to the point it kicked off, and then I sort of focused in on it. But like, I was nervous, I knew it was going to be a bad one again. I guess the advantages of supporting a team like Watford in the Premier League is like when you come up against like the big teams, you can basically write them off as like, Right, we did, we weren't going to get any points here. I don't have to be stressed about it, but still, it's just embarrassing if you walk off the pitch and it's like five or six nil, and that's happened to us plenty of times. Put this goal in because we we tore them apart we were so much better than them and it, it, it we had no right to be yeah so this game i mean i was i was in portugal at the time watching it at my then girlfriend now wife's house Hey. hey. <laughs> um and uh yeah i right so I, I got there she had the, she had the game on the tv and um I was watching it on my own at first, and then her flatmate, she lived in a flat with one other person at the time, and her flatmate invited her mum round, and I was like, I I wasn't pissed off about it, because that makes me sound awful, but basically all I really wanted to do was sit down and watch the game for a couple of hours, and I knew I was going to get animated, and I knew I was going to probably be kind of embarrassing, and I didn't really want to do that in front of someone's mum. So, like, the mum came round. This was only in the first half, so she missed most of the the drama. And she came round for the first half, and I remember, like, sitting there, and it was a bit cagey at first, and I didn't know she was going to speak English. And she did speak a bit of English, but she turned out to be an absolutely huge football fan, big Wolves fan, because of all the Portuguese players. So we chatted away, and I sort of watched the game in the first half, and she's there, and then she left at time. So that sort of made things a little bit looser and then yeah I mean the goal itself the game was fantastic it was a great spectacle it was it was tense at times and well it was tense the whole time because you'd never know when Liverpool are going to get back into it I actually think in the week before this they had gone 1-0 down for the first time in a long time but then kept brought it back and won the game which is what everyone expected them to do when they went 1-0 down to us which was Sar as well he sort of poked it. Yeah, just Decore worked it well around the corner and poked it across, and then Saar scored the first goal. But the goal in question is, so Saar, I'm very excited about at this point. He's sort of like a real electric, quite a raw talent. You like you can see that his ceiling is high. He's like he's got all the attributes you need from sort of a, a winger, and um, something that I've probably learned to criticize him for. That I don't actually think he's got. An eye for goal as such. I don't think he's that calm in front of goal. But in this particular game, he looked like the Iceman. He looked like a seasoned vet. He looked like a Premier League, uh, like a golden era striker. That's what he looked like. And yeah, he goes, to, like he gets played down the wing. The ball comes like round the Liverpool defence. It, it's not a hit to nothing because I think Dini's got in his mind, right? Sar is there. I know what he can do. And he's kind of got his back to it so he hasn't I don't think he's looked but you just you, you, he's playing the percentages he knows where his player should be and he's sort of whipped, not whipped it but he's played this ball down the line that sort of curves in towards the center of the center of the pitch and Sarge just latches onto it and he just he like he takes a longer touch Allison comes flying out one of the best goalkeepers in the world then definitely one of the best goalkeepers in the world now especially good at one-on-ones as well and Sartre dinks him as if it's nothing, as if there is ice running through his veins. He floats the ball over the top of him. And I remember just watching it and thinking, like, it, I was almost pissed off, almost, when this goal went in. Because I looked at it and then I was like, why have we left it until now to start playing football? Why? <laughs> We've wasted... What did you say? 28 games played up until this point. We've wasted 28 games. This was, this was games, the 28th, yeah. 28th, right. We've, it, we've wasted 27 games in the Premier League when we have potential of playing football like this and we decide to do it against Liverpool, which is a game that we don't even need to win. If, ever, if we lose, <laughs> no one cares. But that's when we decide to start playing football. And as I said before, the whole thing goes up in smoke because we get relegated anyway. That's what it's all about. But yeah, I mean, the pure joy of this game was great. Deini sealed it with the third goal, with quite a good goal actually. He sort of like floated it in towards the back post when the keeper was out of position, and um, yeah. Then I, I I went out in Porto and I found a bar that did two pint glasses, so I went and had a few two pinters, and it was fantastic. <laughs> it was brilliant. It
0: it's was about great. an appropriate way to celebrate uh, ending one of the greatest runs in English football history. Uh, it was, it yeah, was I an mean, incredible it might be, performance. It, yeah, it, it was
1: it was a great performance. I was going to say, I think it was actually, as a game, it was probably more si- more satisfying for um, haters of of Liverpool, their their arch arch nemesis, right, than it was for Watford fans. But like for us, it was just pure like disbelief. We couldn't we couldn't quite fathom that we'd done it. But yeah, for everyone else, I mean, that was the other thing. Is like every, Watford lived in everyone's memory for a week because everyone on Twitter was talking about Watford spoiling the party for Liverpool. Ha, 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 Liverpool can't even beat Watford. And again, as I said before, I was extremely smug for those seven days while we waited for the next one, in which we probably lost. I can't remember,
0: but I imagine we did. You know what? I was just about to look that up, actually we said the february the 29th right yeah okay so yeah the next game we lost 1-0 to crystal palace <laughs> there you go oh my god crystal fucking palace Callum, oh. how many times this is sh- oh
1: god i i at least we are given at least the people that are listening will understand why i hate crystal palace so much now oh god yeah i just i hate that club man so what's interesting
0: is that obviously this <laughs> this game takes place on february the 29th and Watford beat Liverpool 3-0. The following weekend on March the 7th, Palace beat Watford 1-0. And that is your last game until the 20th of June, when Watford draw 1-1 with Leicester City as Project Restart brings the Premier League back into into the fold following, well, still in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, But yeah, after that Watford-Liverpool victory, Watford then do go on a run of five games without a win before they yeah. finally beat Norwich 2-1 on the 7th of July but at that stage I mean, the, it's a little bit too late.
1: The Covid break came at a worst time for us because like I said we'd had a few good results with Nigel Pitt. like there was, there was momentum going into it and yeah I mean that break just completely killed our season and when we came back we just didn't have we just didn't have it whatever it is that that special stuff we just didn't have it anymore.
0: can't get back to his feet, England press regardless with Shaw and now Grealish, Grealish in! In comes the captain! This time, more than any other time 2-0 England, Harry Kane's championship has begun Germany's might be ending. All right. Goal number four for Sean. And this one is one that we watched together. A very jubilant day in the summer of 2021. Ironically taking place during Euro 2020. As we've just touched on, obviously the coronavirus pandemic shut down all major sports uh, during the summer of 2020 for a number of months and postponed the European Championships for a year. That was a very interesting decision to host the Euros all across Europe rather than in one specific country. I don't think I'm really a fan of that as an idea. Um, it Me was neither, a bit weird. Yeah, it was a bit weird. But fortunately for us as, as England fans, um, England does have some fantastic stadia and Wembley obviously being a prime example of that, even if Sean doesn't like it. So a number of the England games were at Wembley, including this one. And this is England 2, Germany nil in the round of 16 of the UEFA Euro 2020 being played in 2021. 55 years since England's last knockout win over Germany. And it was an incredible day, capped off by Harry Kane's first goal in the European Championship to secure a 2-0 win for England. And what a moment it was too, Sean. Why does this goal make your list? Um, It
1: makes my list for a few reasons. Like you said, it was a great day. We had a brilliant. Well, it started off a little bit rocky, didn't it, Callum? It did start off a little bit rocky. There was a little bit Um, of rain. There was a little bit of rain, and there was there's there seemed to be a constant argument with our within our friendship group during that tournament over prioritising screens and viewing the game and sunshine so we'd sort of as a group been convinced to sit outside in a pub a pub with many many screens by the way so we like we weren't we weren't yeah we weren't struggling to to watch the game or anything but we were sat outside in the pub i'll I'll give them credit there were lots of screens
0: yeah there were lots of screens i just have never understood and will go to my grave saying i do not understand why weather plays into watching sport on TV. It just it just doesn't make sense.
1: <laughs> I like how we're bringing our friendship group's argument to the podcast <laughs> for everyone else to hear so Callum can try and garner some support from you guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, so we were sat outside. We arrived. It was a Tuesday game, wasn't it? It was a Tuesday. So I'd taken, yeah, I'd taken the afternoon off work. So we arrived very early for the game. And, yeah, it's pissing down with rain. And... I basically can't really think about anything other than Callum turning up and it raining for the first few hours <laughs> that we were in the pub. I was just like, because he, yeah, he, yeah, you were, you weren't happy with the location in the first place. And then when the forecast came through and we were sat in the rain under umbrellas, then you weren't, you weren't best pleased when you turned up. And I think, I don't know, was the TV working when you turned up? Because there was a hairy moment at the beginning when the TV actually wasn't working. So um, if you miss that, I'm really glad because I think you would have had a nervous breakdown.
0: I, I don't yeah, I mean, have a recollection of it being I think they maybe had to change the power cable, but they yeah, did so like significantly before kickoff that I wasn't yeah. actually stressed. There were enough yeah, screens yeah. around. There were enough screens around. But yeah, I mean it was the reason why I
1: picked so the the day itself, after a terrible start, grew into a fantastic day at the pub watching football. Um I also picked it because just to change it up a little bit, I don't want to have a all what for goals, but also that England team in that tournament was the most I've connected with an England team since I was too young to really understand England fans and all the connotations that come with it. Um, the team itself, the squad itself, they seem to get along really well. They they stood together for principles that like a lot of me and like-minded people in the country believe in. So they they were just an easy team to get behind. I think a lot of people that didn't really give a shit about football in the country started to give a shit about the football because of the, the grace and decorum of the players and actually, to be fair, Gareth Southgate as well um, throughout the duration of the tournament. So I think it all sort of encapsulates itself in this final goal in the Germany game just because of... Yeah, the overwhelming support, the excitement for the game, the nervousness for the game and the relief when the ball hits the back of the net. So that's why it came in. Um, Yeah, I mean, should we talk through the goal? I mean, the the first goal was brilliantly worked. The game itself was so exciting. I thought it was quite a high calibre game. I think
0: England played pretty well. I remember um, the quality being high, but it being extremely tense. I remember it being a game it of was, very yeah. few chances until about the hour mark when it started to open up a little bit. Pickford made one really good save from Havertz and Yeah, the one where he got yeah, down low. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think there was one. Oh, no, two, that was Werner. Werner Ver, was on. low and then Havertz he tipped yeah. it over, right? Yes, and, I remember. That was yeah. a really good connection from Werner. Yeah. Um, Havertz, sorry. And no, no, you're right. And it and it I just remember getting more and more nervous the later it got, that as per usual, we would find a way to blow it and Germany would score. And in the context of the game, obviously, as you said, Raheem Sterling puts England 1-0 up with a really well-worked goal. Luke Shaw squares it and Sterling, as he did all tournament, arrived to tap it in and, uh, and, and give England the lead. But the key moment really for me is the Thomas Muller miss that yep. predates this goal by about three minutes. Where Sterling heartbreakingly lost the ball on on basically on the halfway line, Thomas Müller goes through, who has made a career out of scoring big goals and generally being a killer when Bayern and Germany needed him to be. I think we all thought this is absolutely one-one. He misses it, puts it wide of the post, and it kind of the celebration for that miss was arguably bigger than for the first goal. Yeah, genuinely, I uh, yeah, agree with come. that. It was, it just looked like,
1: I mean, everything about it, until you see the shot, when you're watching it from the TV camera, until you see the replay from behind him where you can see it's offline, when you're watching it from that broad, broadcast view, it's it's in. It's 100% in. The ball's low. He slipped it past the keeper and it, it's in. And you you know it is until you see it wh- whistle past the post. And like you say, the the pub just went crazy. Everyone celebrated it like it was a goal. And I think, yeah, I mean, you've got to include that moment with why the cane goal mattered so much because we were all, yeah, we were like dying of nerves. Like you say, it was a tense game. Germany, they could have scored at any point. They were good enough to do so. And we were definitely weak enough to let them do it. So you kind of knew that it, 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 it was a possibility. What I love about that moment is when, when, when Müller misses is watching the replays and Sterling collapsing to his knees on the halfway line where he's given the ball away, just in thanks to the football gods. Like, thank you for not letting that go in wherever you are. You cruel, cruel people. <laughs> the football gods, like, worked out wide. I think it's Sterling that might... Is it Sterling that plays it wide? I don't know. I can't remember. But someone plays it wide to Grealish and then Grealish... Yeah, he came on and sort of, got the assist. For it's the, sort of like a, goal. like a... Almost like a chip across the face and Kane yeah dives and falls on it and headers it into well past Neuer who's rightfully on his on his near post but yeah couldn't get across to cover it and yeah the rest is history I mean we were jumping around screaming there's videos of us going crazy I think um, the table that we were sat around ended up being broken through the middle of people jumping up on, on it and standing And dancing and crying and uh, it was just, it was brilliant. It was just so good. And everyone felt it. Everyone felt it. And uh, yeah, probably the most proud I've ever been of England team. And uh, yeah, the the most I've ever celebrated one of their goals, one of our goals, I suppose.
0: And I guess the sadness of this is the aftermath of it being the eventual loss in the final and the somewhat unsavoury scenes, both pre-game and post-game. Definitely unsavoury post-game. Uh, of the Euro final against Italy. What instead I wanted to ask you on was just kind of what this summer was like. For those who are somehow unaware, this summer was the Women's European Championships uh, in the UK and England won the tournament. First tournament England of either gender have won since 1966. An incredible performance by the women. And I think I was really sad that I wasn't able to be there and experience it in person. So was what was the feeling like and did it really differ between last summer and this summer in terms of the the swell of support in the country?
1: Um, it's a different kind of support, but that's not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. Like we were just, as you've just said, the England men's team support is uh, very criticisable. <laughs> um, but the, the feeling that, like the women's tournament was great. We were all organizing to watch the games i I missed the first bit of the tournament i was there for all the crucial games and uh we we broke the duck of the men's team by watching the women's team succeed in exactly the same pub where we watched the men's team falter against Italy. so that was a satisfying thing to see and yeah it was great it was great the support is the support is different but um better in many many ways the atmosphere is nicer the enthusiasm is still there and the excitement, yeah, it's 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 good, and I think it's it's it, oh, it's just going to get better and better. Hopefully,
0: I think the no, 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 you're completely right. I think the uh, what happens in Qatar in November is going to be very interesting to see, because with a lot of the rules that have been laid down, and you know they they have different laws in their country to what we do in England or in various other parts of the world. There's going to be a lot of I think, problematic situations throughout this tournament, which is obviously why it shouldn't be held there in the first place. But it's going to be... I mean, I think that you might end up with a significant number of England fans genuinely being arrested and being put in jail for a long time. Like That really is a possibility.
1: Let's, let's see. It's all speculation at this point, but I would not be surprised in the slightest. But do you know what I mean? This is why I've included that goal is because there was something about that tournament, despite what happened in the final and what happened to those three players that missed those penalties. People that don't like the England team for all of the reasons that we've just spoken about and because of the fans and because of the, of the way they carry themselves and the situations that they get themselves in got behind the England team in that tournament and they've done exactly the same with the women's game this year. Those people that were causing trouble aren't turning up for the women's game for whatever reason, they're not. So it's just people that are there to support and get behind the, the the team. And that's great to see and it's great to experience. And like I said before, we watched it in the same pub, the two England finals, two separate tournaments for the men's and the women's. And take a wild guess at which was the nicest atmosphere. Take a wild guess. Certainly,
0: Dini... Oh, it's getting it, Dale Oh, brilliant! That's the inspiration that they needed, and Watford aren't out of it yet. Quite an impact from the substitute who was left out of the starting lineup quite controversially, but a brilliant semi-final goal. Watford one, Wolves two. Okay, we've made it to Sean's fifth and final Desert Island Goal, and as maybe ironically, we're back at Wembley. And this is the FA Cup semi-final of 2019 between Watford and Wolves. And what a game it was. Wolves broke into a 2-0 lead, a Matt Doherty header from a kind of training ground corner routine. And then I think one of the more underrated players in, in the last few years of the Premier League, Raul Jimenez, with a very well-taken chest down and volley, and an equally enjoyable Mexican luchador mask celebration, which I, uh, I really did enjoy. And Wolves are 2-0 up with about half an hour left. And Watford's big day out of Wembley is looking like a bit of a nightmare. Enter the mercurial maverick Gerard Deulofeu, once tipped as the next Lionel Messi coming out of Barcelona's La Masia Academy. A player who's very interesting. On his day, unplayable. And on not his day, incredibly frustrating. But this was one of his days. And Deo Lufeu gets Watford back into the game with the goal we're going to talk about here. And spoiler alert, we then get a penalty for Watford, which Troy Deeney dispatches. And Deo Lufeu scores the winner in extra time that sends Watford through to the FA Cup final. And we won't talk about that game to save Sean's uh, general mood for the day, but Sean, this Lufeo goal is an absolute world class finish. Talk me through why this goal made your list. I was hard
1: pressed to pick one of the goals from this game because each of them was quite special in a way. Um, I've heard you on previous um, episodes talking about how like no one had picked a penalty yet, and Part of me was I, I was very close to going for Deanny's pen here. But it's I've gone for the De la Feuille one at the beginning because it one, it's the most magic and two, it galvanizes the team and gets everyone gets us swimming in the same direction, which eventually gets us back into the game. I, I was at Wembley for this. I was at the game. Yeah, similar 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 to other times and I've been to big games. I was just there with my dad and his friends and been out for a few drinks before the game. And everyone's, everyone's donning their colours for the FA Cup. And it's an exciting, it's an exciting thing. I mean, the, the, the glitz and glamour and the magic, as people like to say, of the FA Cup in this country has um, dwindled over the years. And it, does, it has meant less as the years have gone on, um, undeniably. But for teams like Watford, it still is exciting. Because to get to an FA Cup final is just something that I didn't really think I'd ever see from a Watford team. But yeah, like turned up at the game at the stadium. I as I've said earlier on, I hate Wembley pretty much every time I've been there, I've been disappointed. I don't really like the way the seats are set out, but I've got to be honest, that's I'm nitpicking there, to be honest. It's mostly because of the results that I've experienced when I'm when I'm in, in the stadium. So I'm walking into the stadium, I've got a bad feeling about it anyway. And then as Callum said in the intro, we are two nil down pretty much before I can blink my eyes. I know the second goal doesn't go in until later on, but um, it felt like, here we go again. Watford letting me down at Wembley. It's not Palace this time, thank God, but now it's Wolves instead. We're 2-0 down. This is it. I can't believe it. Bloody Raul Jimenez with his silly little mask, which, by the way, I think, I think with half an hour left in a game, don't whip out the mask. Like, if you score the third goal in the 85th, get the mask out. Have a little bit of fun, yeah? But at 60 minutes, don't do it, mate, because you're setting yourself up for disaster. And I think it might actually be the football gods coming back into this again. And they saw it and they just thought, it's a tad too arrogant for us. Let's put him back down a couple of pegs. So then Delefeu gets the ball in a fairly innocuous position. He's got about six players in front of him on the left-hand side of the box. And he just does something with his foot. He, like, whips around the outside of it, puts a huge amount of curl on the ball but there's no back lift so there's no there's no there's almost no speed on the ball and it loops over ruddy is it ruddy in nets i think it is ruddy in net it loops over the back of him and into sort of like the side net and can't call it top corner because like i said it loops so it falls down by the by the time it's hitting into the goal but it was just like and it's one of these ones when i was actually in the stadium i'm not seeing any replays so when i see it i'm just like what has he done has he meant that what's going on the ball's gone in, so I don't really care that much. But then when you see it back again, you're like, wow, that's he's done it. He's done it on purpose. And like you said, he's, when he when he wanted to be, he was just one of the most talented players I've ever seen at the club. Had a very good season after leaving us now at Udinese and about to start his second. And I wish him all the best. He had plenty of injury woes during his career so far. And I think his talent's really starting to show. It was just an unbelievable goal. Puts us to two one, and then it's a cagey rest of the game. But um, like I said before, it spurs us on, and we get that penalty, which is the goal I nearly put in. Which, yeah, it's a classic Troy Deeney penalty—hit it as hard as you fucking can down the middle, and he did it, and it went in. And I was so—I was—I'm behind that goal when the Deeney one went in. So that's the other thing for the Dele De Alli goal. I'm—I'm at the other end of the pitch, so it like. It just sort of defies gravity when it goes in. It was so special and so exciting. And then all of a sudden you're like, shit, we've got a chance. We've got a chance. We've actually got a chance. But it was a brilliant day. And then like, yeah, Deanie sends it to Extra Time. Watford, the little, it's like we've got a reputation as like a family club. But everyone was going mental. I went to the toilet in the break between full time and Extra Time. And everyone's like running around, smoking cigarettes, hugging each other, kissing each other. And it was just, it was electric. It was electric. And that's the sort of thing you don't really see at a Watford game. Like, usually it's fair. Like, there's areas that are, obviously, the singing sections and stuff like that. But, like, generally speaking, it's a calm atmosphere. Like, we get we get into it when we score, but it's not it's not one of these, like, big ultra-supporting clubs. But it felt like it that day. It
0: really did. I wanted to touch on, because you referenced him earlier, that Michael Oliver becomes a bit of a hero in this piece, in giving the penalty that you nearly selected, which is... I think soft would be about fair. Troy beats Leander Dandonka to the ball. And I do think there's contact. But I uh, I think the penalty was a little bit soft. But I'm glad that it went the way it did. And Troy as you said, smashes it in. And then the winning goal itself is another wonderful move. I do think it's very fair that you could have had any of these three goals. And in actual fact, in reality, what you want to put on your desert island is this game, really. Right? Yeah. Yeah yeah uh, but I mean this is this like, we were just talking about how hard
1: it is to pick these goals when um when you're trying to boil it down to five I picked the De Oliveira one because it was just magic and that was his chant for us He's magic you know Gerard De Yeah it was it was just so special and it got us going but yeah I mean like the Deeney one that's nine, that's 94 minutes that penalty you think it's soft I don't I think he takes a heavy touch but there is definite connection between the defender and him and he's got every right to go down which he does and by the way Deeney really not heralded for his ability to take a dive when needed he basically just got fouled all the time because everyone knew well he by the time he gets to the floor, the referee is gonna be like come on pull the other one yeah he goes down effectively and gets a pen and yeah he he just absolutely wallops it in, but yeah, it had to be the Defogo the first De La Fog- goal for me just because it was so special and it's the sort of thing that uh, not many players that have ever played for our club can do, and he's one of the select few, but it was a great team as well i I, I really liked that team at the time, like we had like Roberto Pereira as well and like my hero etienne capo so like i i I liked the team my yeah my anti hero andre Gray. He missed two absolute sitters in that game, and I was cursing him from the from the stands, cursing him. But he did set up Delafayu for the third goal, I believe. I think he played the ball through. So it's all swings and roundabouts, Cal. It's all swings and roundabouts. It was probably it was definitely my best day at Wembley ever, because as you said, the the game that followed this, the final Man City, was a drumming. But yeah, what yeah, what a goal! What a goal! What a game, what a day. Yeah, a really special moment for Watford Football Club. We'd been in the final of the FA Cup once before in the eighties and we lost to Everton. So to do it in my lifetime was special. Definitely got a little bit teary when the teams came out in that final. It, I mean it all it all fell down the stairs very quickly after that. Although Roberto Pereira did have an opportunity to put us one-nil up, and I think if we'd have scored that, we probably would have won a game 3-0. Probably <music>
0: All right, so we have reached the conclusion uh, by way of a quick recap. Sean has been cast away on his desert Island and going with him are the five goals that he has detailed here for us. We began with Troy Deeney against Leicester City. We had Jay De Merit against Leeds. We had Ismail Assar against Liverpool. Harry Kane against Germany and Gerard Lufeu against Wolves. It's a great list. I don't know why you were worried about coming on here and. Picking your five—it's a great list of goals. Some great moments on there.
1: I was just struggling to whittle it down. That was basically it. My f- yeah, my fear. I'm, you're not going to have another Watford fan on here, but if someone someone manages to dig out a Watford goal and put it in their list, I'm going to be gutted if it's not in mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would like. I would like to think that we'll have another Watford fan on at some point. I need to find one first, but I'm sure that there's someone out there who I can uh, who I can persuade. My dad's available next weekend, Cal. Then you've got then you've had the whole fan base oh there we go yeah okay okay yeah Simmons senior on for sure as ever at the end of this we do also allow you a chance to give any honorable mentions which i may, i've realized maybe opening a kind of worms for you that you don't really want to go into but are there any ones that were very close to making the list that didn't quite make it and also another kind of question that i really like is are there any goals that should be on here but just are not able to be on here for outside circumstances. Like, for example, you referenced earlier me doing my five goals eventually. Wayne Rooney's overhead kick against Manchester City will not be on my five goals because I was on a train to Germany watching the game on BBC Live text commentary. So that's a goal that should probably be on my list, but will not be. Is there one like that for you? It's not something that I've
1: actually considered until you just said that. But a player, a a very... (sighs) a very important player for us, not necessarily with regards to footballing ability, but um, Lloyd Doyley, our right back for many, many years, scored two goals in some, I don't know how many performances. He must have had about 400 appearances for Watford. He scored two goals from right back. And I missed both of his goals. (laughs) I was elsewhere doing other things. So when you say that, when it, it can't qualify, maybe that would be on there, probably not. I don't think they were very good goals. I think the first one was just in a draw against QPR or something, but it was a diving header. But um, that was funny because he had to be reminded by his teammates to go and celebrate with the fans. He just did not know what to do with himself. He hadn't got a clue. He was, like never scored a goal before. He had no idea and he just ran down like a headless chicken and someone was like,
0: just go over there.
1: Just go over there. But yeah, maybe maybe something like that. I was thinking about a couple of goals from the season when we actually got promoted. So as you were saying, in, that, in the playoff game against Leicester, we went to the final and lost to Crystal Palace. And then the following season, we didn't do very well. And then the season after that, we actually got promoted. And um, there was a Vidra goal in an away game against Brighton, which I spoke to you about recently, Callum, because um, eh, that was until about a week ago. That was the last game that we'd played in the championship with away with fans but anyway in that goal in that game there was a goal from vidra mate vidra who moved to burnley after us and that was a fantastic goal it eventually got us promoted although we didn't know it at the time but um results went our way that day and we ended up going up in um the second uh, automatic promotion spot so i might have snuck that one in i'd also in my memory um combine that with me winning the grand national horse race I often refer to that as my best sporting weekend ever. But when I was thinking about goals to go in this podcast, I looked it up and it turns out I actually won the Grand National the week before. So it did kind of lessen it a little bit. So I decided not to put that in. But yeah, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about other games when we've beaten big teams in the Premier League. The only team we haven't beaten is Man City. So we've had winning days against Liverpool, United, Chelsea, Arsenal. So I was thinking about some of those ones, maybe to flick in for SARS, but SARS meant more and I had a better story around it and I was in a better place. But um, yeah, too many to name. These five are special. So I think, yeah, that's why they got in.
0: Perfect. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time, chatting to us, explaining your Desert Island goals. As always, please take the time to share the podcast, pass the pod, as someone once said, Give us a five-star rating and um, yeah, we hope to see you very soon. We'll be back next week with another episode. Sean, thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, Callum. It's been a pleasure. And we'll see you guys soon. Cheers.